Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Hear now the word of the Lord from Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are acknowledging that God alone is the one who is able to provide for all that we need. It's really, you can see how Jesus is reflecting on that petition, that which the, Lord, the Lord's Prayer comes at the beginning of chapter 6, and now Jesus is, is reflecting on that petition, give us this day our daily bread, as he speaks of what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God. You can, you can see in a way that in, he's tying together, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, with give us this day our daily bread. Because when we are focused on the kingdom of God, then we will, God will provide us all that we need for life and godliness. What are you concerned about? What are you, what are you anxious about? Are you anxious about your job, your, your family, your future, your friends? Jesus says that if we get fixated on our own needs, then we wind up missing the point of our own existence. Why are we here? What are, what are we doing here? Each of, each of our stories has so many strange twists and turns. What is God doing? Actually, we'll be, we'll be looking at that tonight in Judges 4 when we'll be talking about two women, De- Deborah and Jael. Uh, and so actually, if, if you're interested in questions about women in the church, tonight's sermon will have a lot to do with that. But also, if you're interested in the question of what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God, our larger catechism asks in question 193, what do we pray for in the fourth petition? Well, in the fourth petition, which is, give us this day our daily bread, 
acknowledging that in Adam and by our own sin, we have forfeited our right to all the outward blessings of this life and deserve to be wholly deprived of them by God and to have them cursed to us in the use of them, and that neither they of themselves are able to sustain us nor we to merit by our own industry to procure them, but prone to desire, get, and use them unlawfully. We pray for ourselves and others that both they and we, waiting upon the providence of God from day to day, in the use of lawful means, may of his free gift, and as to his fatherly wisdom shall seem best, enjoy a competent portion of them, and have the same continued and blessed unto us in our holy and comfortable use of them and contentment in them, and be kept from all things that are contrary to our temporal support and comfort. So the Catechism nicely summarizes both our, our, the problem, in a sense, that we, we tend to seek after all these things and make them the focus of our attention, and we need to recognize that these things are never going to satisfy our pursuit of earthly things, our pursuit of food and drink. I mean, this is where Jesus gets really basic. Food. You need food to live. You need clothing. You need, just, Jesus focuses on the very basics and says, when we, get, when we turn our eyes to sort of focusing on these things that we need, we wind up losing sight of the only one who can provide the things that we need. And, and that's actually what we were singing about in Psalm 78. Because this is what, I mean, really, Psalm 78 is all about, give us this day our daily bread. And you can see both the wrong way of pursuing it, but then also it starts to show us the right way to pursue it. Psalm 78 recites the, the history of Israel from the days of Moses to the time of David. If you want to look over at Psalm 78, I'll, I'll, I, won't, I won't read it again, but I'll just, I, want to, I want to point out some things to you. Because the first two stanzas in verses 1 through 8 emphasize the importance of teaching this story to your children. This is part of why we spend a lot of time on Old Testament history at Messianic Covenant. Because Psalm 78 says that this story is crucial to showing our children that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. That they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. We should teach our children to be more faithful than we've been. And each, it's, it's just, it's worth, it's worth saying that out loud to your kids. Because your kids know that you're a sinner. They probably know better than anybody else. And so you're not gonna, you're not gonna succeed by pretending that you're not. So to say, yeah, you, you see where I've failed. I want you to do better than I've done. I want you to learn from my mistakes, and please don't repeat them. I mean, now, at the same time, this has been the problem for every generation, and that's where, because you know, for you who are parents, you probably all have had that point where you've been like, oh, right, this was where I was going to be different from my dad. Oops, <laughs> I'm more like him in the ways that I didn't want to be than I am. And that's something that, we all have to recognize that, but this is part of why Old Testament history is really useful for helping us remember the story that we're part of. 
And then um, each of the next five stanzas, and the, and the ESV does a nice job of, of showing you the stanza breaks, but each of the ne- next five stanzas begins with Israel's rebellion and then shows God's mighty deeds in response. Yeah, verses 9 to 16 starts with Ephraim's forgetfulness. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown, forgetting how God had divided the sea and they passed through. He led them with the, p- the pillar of cloud and fire. He split rocks in the wilderness to give them water, and yet they grumbled. Verses 17 to 31 then report the failure of Israel. They sinned against him more, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. And they prayed, give us this day our daily bread. They did. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Can God spread a table in the wilderness? You see, there's, there's both a right way to pray, give us this day our daily bread, and there's a wrong way to pray, give us. Just think about it this way. The difference is this. Give me my daily bread. Give me my daily bread. The difference, you can use the same words, and one of them is a rebellious approach, and one of them is coming to God humbly saying, we're hungry, help. It's about trusting God's promises. And he says that he will do what he has promised. He has promised to bless those who fear him, who love him, who obey him. So when the Lord heard their prayer, his anger burned against Israel. Now, what did they deserve? Well, the wages of sin is death. They deserve death for their sin and rebellion. But the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so the Lord provided them with bread from heaven. He gave them what they asked for. Men ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them, sent them food in abundance. But it also says that, yes, God gave them their daily bread. He also sent the east wind to blow. And that should have been a warning to them because in Scripture, when the east wind blows, you know nothing good is coming from the east wind. The east wind blows off the desert. It's hot. It's dry. It's always the wind of judgment. And this time, it it brings birds, the, the quail. And the people ate their fill. But before they had satisfied their craving while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them and he killed the strongest of them and laid low the young men of Israel. There is a caution here. Be careful what you pray for. Too often what we wind up praying is, give me what I crave. And God may give you what you ask for. He may give you what you crave as a means of, of judging, as a means of warning, as a means of sh- showing you this is where that goes. So he may actually give you what you crave. But all of your cravings, all of your inordinate appetites, it's, this is where, what, what do they crave? Food. I mean, what's wrong with food? How are they craving? Because you can stuff yourself with all that your hearts desire and it will not satisfy. Cravings, lusts, inordinate appetites are a vacuum that cannot be filled. It's a black hole that consumes light and life and yet remains dark and lifeless. So what, what should Israel have done when the quail arrived? Well, that's the wrong question. 
By the time the quail arrived, it was too late. The problem was not that they ate the quail. The problem was that they were craving the meat. They were not content with what God had given them. And this is where we need to learn to discipline our cravings. What is it that you crave? I mean, this is, this is where Jesus in Matthew 6 will talk about the, the things that you're anxious about. What things are you anxious about? Jesus doesn't say you need to eliminate all these things from your life. You can't eliminate food. Please don't eliminate clothing. But these are good things that God has placed, has, has, has given us. And, and these are good desires that we should have to want to eat. That's a good thing. But you need to discipline yourself to trust God for these things. So if, if, you're, if your craving is for food, if you love and, and desire food for its own sake, well then, a good discipline to develop is the discipline of fasting. If you crave your daily bread, then maybe you need to abstain from your daily bread from time to time to teach yourself to trust God that he will provide. I know people have often commented on how you know, fa- fasting doesn't feel very holy. Fasting feels, I mean, cause you, I mean, it's, it's really hard to focus on prayer when you're fasting because you're so hungry. That's the point. You're not, that, that's not an inappropriate experience of fasting. That's a very appropriate experience of fasting. That your hunger is reminding you, wow, I am not the way I should be. And in the same way, if you, if you, if you, if you crave sex and you're married, it can be awfully easy to say, oh, I should have it whenever I want it. But Paul even speaks about married couples abstaining, fasting from sex, you might say, for a time in order to devote themselves to prayer. This is, you know, there is, whatever it is that you're craving is probably the thing that you need to discipline yourself with respect to in order to say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. I want, I want to be seeking you and your kingdom. Whose kingdom are you seeking? Whose will are you doing? Now, these things don't change overnight. It takes discipline. It takes commitment. It takes faith, hope, and love. And it's also worth noting, uh, this is something that, that Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, says, give us. It's not just give me. It's give us. These are things we need to work on together. Now, as we saw in Psalm 78, it, this is a problem that just keeps continuing in Israel's history. And over and over again, it didn't, it didn't seem to matter how often God disciplined them. They still didn't get it. But we're told in verse 37 that though their heart was not steadfast toward him, they were not faithful to his covenant. He, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. God remembers that we are flesh. That's why he sent his son. That's why the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became all that we are by nature so that we might become all that he is by grace. And we, we, we said earlier that Psalm 78 is a lesson to the children. And it's worth saying this to you who are children. Because you need to know the stories of the Old Testament. 
if we don't know the stories of our fathers, we'll tend to repeat them. And God sends these, these plagues and judgments. I mean, now, it, in a sense, it goes even further back in history and reminds us of the plagues on Egypt. And that, and because God had told his people that if they rebelled against him, then he would send the plagues of Egypt even on Israel. And yet, God has mercy. And in verses 52 to 55, we hear of his mercy as he led his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety and he brought them to his holy land. He drove out the nations before them. Will Israel learn? Will Israel, will the children learn from their fathers? Psalm 78 is not all that optimistic about that because in the fifth stanza there, verses 56 to 66, it says that God rejected Israel. This is actually the point of the book of Samuel, that God rejected Israel and calls for the king to succeed where Israel had failed. God forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind, and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. This happens in the day of Eli the priest when when the Ark of the Covenant was captured and taken into the the temple of Dagon, the temple of the Philistines. Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, died in battle. Eli, their father, when he hears the news, he falls over and dies on the spot. Phinehas' wife made no lamentation. She dies in childbirth the same day and she names the child Ichabod, which means no glory. Because the glory had departed from Israel. But, Psalm 78 points out that it's precisely in the death of the priests, in the capture of the ark, that God began to move. Then the Lord awoke from sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine, and he put his adversaries to rout. How did he do that? Well, when, when the ark of the covenant is taken to the temple of Dagon, the statue of Dagon in his temple falls on his face before the Ark of the Covenant. And they, so they, they set him back up again, and, and then the next day he falls over again, and this time his, his head falls off and his hands, his hands fall off, and they're like, whoa, okay, something's going on here. God does not send somebody else to do his battles. God was, this may sound strange, but God was taken captive and taken into the temple of his enemies in order to be to fall under the judgment of the Philistines. And yet, it's precisely when God did that that he began to overthrow the Philistines. You see, this is, this is the point that, that God always goes before his people. When the word became flesh and dwelt among us, our Lord Jesus Christ was God who came in the flesh, who tabernacled among us. He was the Ark of the Covenant that went into the den of, of his enemies and was overthrown and cut down for us, that through his death he might triumph over our enemies. Indeed, that story in First Samuel is the turning point when God goes before his people, when God is taken captive and humiliated. It's the humiliation of God that results in the glory of God being revealed to the nations. And because God is steadfast in his love and abundant in his mercy, he, he still then continues to call weak men into his service. This is where the psalm goes next in saying, he rejected the tent of Joseph, he didn't choose the tribe of Ephraim. When he rejects Israel, what does he do? He chooses David, his servant. 
takes him from the sheepfolds. And with upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Psalm 78 sees, right, God goes first before his people, but he also raises up a, 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 the man of God's choosing. And this is where you can see very easily how this all comes together in Jesus. Because in Jesus, he is the one who is the God who goes before his people. And he is the son of David. He is the faithful man who fulfills all that Adam and Israel and David failed to be. And because Jesus has established his church, therefore when you pray, give us this day our daily bread, you are submitting to what God thinks that you need. You're subduing your cravings, disciplining your appetites, putting to death the, the, the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, the, the pride of life. You're asking God to provide you what you need. Because this is what, and this is what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6 in the passage that we read earlier. So don't be anxious. You're not going to add to your life by stressing out. You're not, when you consider the, 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 the lilies of the field, how they grow, even Solomon in all his glory cannot compare with theirs. And you might say, well, but, but the plants, they wither and die. Well, yes, but that's what Jesus says. God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. God's provision for his creation is lavish and abundant until the time appointed. Think about Jesus. God fed and clothed his beloved son until it was time for Jesus to go to the cross. And then he was stripped of his clothing. And he said from the cross, I thirst. He had no daily bread. He had no garments. Even so, God will provide all that you need until your time comes. Because when your time comes, that is the time when he provides all that you need. As we've, as we've seen with Monte's funeral a couple weeks ago and with Gilbert's this week, we've seen that God brings his people to himself. That death is, is not sort of where sort of things fail. Death is where God brings us to himself. And so for us to seek first the kingdom of God, to, for us it means to, to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Trusting God that not seeking my own cravings, but trusting him that he will provide what I need. And I know. It can be frustrating sometimes to hear this passage. Thanks, Pastor. You just told me not to worry, but I can't help it. I'm a compulsive worrier. How do I stop? Look at Jesus. I, I, I know, I know, but I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about my children. Look at Jesus. Yes, I am, but, but my job situation is not good. Look at Jesus. Because when you're focused on your family, on your job, on your situation, then you're not looking at Jesus. If you are seeking first wealth and prosperity, Jesus doesn't promise that you'll get everything you want. 
But if you are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus does promise that you will get everything that you need. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. You will get your daily bread. You will get everything that you need until the day when you die, when you will finally get the thing that you have longed for most. See, that's... I mean, in, in talking with the people who were around Monte in his, last, in his last days, that was what he wanted most. He wanted most to be with Jesus. And he wanted all the people around him to know this was the most important thing. There's a way in which death brings a real clarity to everything else in life. And so we pray, our Father who art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Help us in all the things that we pray for to, to keep our eyes on the one who has made us for himself. And so our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. Lord, have mercy on us. Help us to, to stop seeking after all these things. Because we know that you know what we need. So help us, help us Lord, to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus that we might love you above all things, that we, might, that we might see your holy name revealed in your Son and that in his face we might rest content knowing that you will care for us and that, and that as we go about the, the plans for the, for the coming days and the coming weeks, that you would help us to, to plan well and wisely for the, for the things that you have called us to do, that we might be diligent and faithful in the work that you've given us to do, that, but that we might set aside all those anxieties and cares that have nothing to do with, with following you. May we keep our, our hearts and our minds fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For we pray in his name. Amen.